Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, briancleman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello, and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I am your host, Lucky Luciano Cedroni. With me, Brian, the Angry Man Clayman. We are on episode 32, and we're going to be talking about uh, a topic we covered early on in our podcast, but we're going to go a little more in-depth this time around. Uh, we're going to be talking about threat risk assessments. Um, they're, uh, they're, they seem to be very popular nowadays. We're getting more and more requests to do them, but we're also seeing a lot of confusion around what exactly they are, and that's why we thought it'd be important to talk about them today. Uh, but before we do, as always, we're going to get into a little bit of what's keeping us up at night and no shortage of content uh, these days as usual. So let's uh, welcome Brian. Today I've got my coping juice, a nice glass of red wine <laughs> to deal with you. Um, but what's keeping you up? Uh, and say hello. Hello, everyone. I guess uh, I'll start off by saying that, you know, working with Luciano is very telling and very difficult. You don't realize, <laughs> folks, it, it just took us four takes to say, hello, welcome to Protecting Your Podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just did it. <laughs> you see? Anyways, it was hard to get to where we are now, so I'm just going to leave that. You know, one day we should actually do an episode just with the outtakes, because uh, we're, you know, people must think that we're consummate broadcast professionals and yes. we get it right the first time, but uh, boy, you make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> Anyways, what's keeping me up at night is the excited states of America, and I'm sure you've got some comments about that, but with the stuff that's happening south of the border in terms of uh, weapons, polarization. Uh, we've had two big trials that have just come to fruition. Uh, the juries are back in Rittenhouse and in, on the Aubrey case. Yeah. And, you know, in both cases, you've got little children or you've got rednecks that are walking around <laughs> with guns. And I don't understand that. It seems to me they've got the guns to defend themselves, or so they say. But if there weren't guns in the first place, there'd be no need to defend yourself. I just wonder about a society or a country where there's more guns than people. And it just sort of, you know, and I, and I know a lot of people might disagree, but I just find it so disappointing that the U.S., which is sort of the beacon of hope to the world of what a better society could look like, what freedom looks like, has evolved into what they've evolved into. I mean, the is it the Second Amendment, the right to bear guns? Yeah. And I'm not a legal scholar, so I'm not even going to go and try and dissect that. But uh, do you, is that really the type of society you want to live in? Where, you know, if you take it to its extreme, everyone has a right to have a gun. That means the uh, God-fearing person, the law-abiding person, and the person that wants to shoot up a theater. Because everyone has a right to have a gun. Now, people would say you don't have a right to shoot up a theater, and that's true. But I would suggest it's harder to shoot up a theater if you're in a country like England or potentially even Canada where it's hard to get a gun. 
I then, find it right. interesting that since COVID, uh, you know, and, and uh, people were concerned that Biden and the Democrats are going to come in and that somehow the Second Amendment will be repealed and they're going to come for their guns. And I don't think they could do that even if they wanted it to. There have been 100 million guns that have been sold in the last year. I was watching Lisa Ling. She's a broadcaster on yep. CNN. I, I like her. She's pretty good. She's not you very... You watch CNN? What is wrong with you? Well, yeah, but she's not very political. She's not like the other guys, you know, but she, she's interesting. And she was looking at paramilitaries. And there was a fact that amazed me is that a lot of the paramilitaries are really concerned that the government's coming for them because you can't buy ammunition. Well, I read in that analysis, you can't buy ammunition because since COVID started, 100 million guns were sold. And it's just a supply and demand issue. That's incredible. I mean, we're yeah. looking at a shortage of butter because the price is going up, and they're worried about a shortage of ammunition. I don't know. That's not the world. Yeah, it is crazy. You talked about Rittenhouse. You talked about Aubrey. I think, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm afraid to say anything because there's so much polarization on it, and I don't understand what the polarization is. I have my own personal thoughts on on both those judgments, but uh, you create a scenario where people are walking around with guns. I don't know how you think it could end any other way but trouble or problematic. But uh, but I, I'm going to add a couple more things that really bugging me and I, and I think is really disturbing is, uh, first of all, the friggin' uh, cash, what is it, the crash and, 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 and take the crap out of these, these stores. Oh. I don't know what they call it, but crash and, and, and smash, smash and grab. That's the word I was looking for. Is English, like, a, uh, is English your first language? <laughs> no, it's not, actually. I, I am an ESL. I started know, English when I was six. <laughs> but it, it's interesting. You know, I drink water today. Show everyone what you're drinking. And I'm you are just, Merlot. have you been drinking Merlot since breakfast? Okay, go on. I, I have in anticipation of this. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, so, yeah, the smash and grab that's going on in the States, uh, California, I think was one there. I think there was another one in yeah. Chicago, but starting to point towards a trend where, you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 people show up at your store and basically just walk in, trash the crap out of it, take whatever they want and leave which I think is problematic. And I heard, um, disappointingly, I might add, uh, uh, a copper that we both know on Canadian media say that, you know, well, that's what insurance is for, which I think is a poor attitude. I understand what he's trying to get at. You know, it's insurance, so you don't have to risk your life to, to protect those assets. But at the end of the day, if, if we all took that attitude, then why the hell do we even have walls? Like, just leave the, the product on the streets. And whoever wants to take it, takes it, because that's that's what's going to end up happening. So I think that's that's one. And the other one, which... I'm surprised you uh, you didn't bring up is uh, that guy Daryl Brooks in freaking uh, Wakosha, where the oh, Santa Claus parade. Yeah, I mean, talk about a, a perfect example of how effed up our justice system is, and I I include the Canadian one in that. It's an it's an American incident, but ours is no better. Here's a guy with 50 pages, literally, of pre prior offenses, violent offenses, and he's out on the freaking street. Right. And I think it was a thousand dollar bail. It was ridiculous. And what does he do within minutes of being released? Gets into a friggin another altercation with his. I don't know if it's his wife or his girlfriend. And that goes sour. Surprise, surprise. And before the cops get there, he's mowing down people at a Santa Claus parade. Um, but and, and then I was watching the um, the bail hearing last uh, yesterday and the judge being so serious in how he was taking into account all the prior convictions and his complete disregard for for the law. And, all, and I'm like. This is the same record, minus the, the the parade incident. Everything on there is the same as it was 24 hours earlier when you let this guy go. Well, so how, one how of, you, you know. Well, one of the charges that guy had uh, being out on bail was an intentional 
hit and run of a pedestrian. I mean, and he was out on a thousand dollar bail. I just do not get it. You know, the the Americans are bipolar, and I'm sorry to my American <laughs> friends, but they either give you 300 years in jail for smoking a joint of marijuana or a thousand dollars bail for a guy like that. And the most recent offense was that he ran someone over and then yep. he graduated from only running one person over to running dozens. I mean, yep. it's ridiculous. Um, Disgusting, think, man. And see, this is the problem with the perhaps the Second Amendment. You can make the argument, I want a gun. So that if I confront something like that on the street, I can defend my family. And fair enough. You know what? If I was in Afghanistan, I'd want to defend myself and my family. But I think the problem with the argument is in your in the quest to defend ourselves and Americans defend themselves, they're turning America into Afghanistan. Yeah, they're I turning know. it into a war zone. Yep. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everything you fear, your actions are making it happen. I don't think that's the solution. I'm not oh. saying we're a panacea, but certainly, you know, the bloodshed on the street. Like, we have shootings. Yes, Toronto has a lot of shootings. It's with a pistol. We don't have uh, high-capacity weapons uh, uh, with 30 rounds, 40 rounds being shot. It's hard to think of a crime in Toronto, and there are some, where you've had a long gun, semi-automatic or automatic used. It's always, all these gang shootings are with pistols. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm just, I just think of all the, the great uh, um, enemies or uh, competition the Americans have had. You know, like the Chinese, they must be laughing it up. I mean, you don't have to fight America. They're going to no. eat themselves up. Just sit They'll back do and watch. I got to tell you, uh, since the discontent that Trump was able to monopolize on, okay, he has been more destructive and dangerous to the American democracy than any adversary the Americans have faced in two or 300 years as a country. He has been able to do in four years what Adolf Hitler couldn't do in five <laughs> years, six years, what uh, Russia wasn't able to do throughout the Cold War. He is incredible. You know what? I don't want to get into Trump or not Trump, but what's <laughs> happening in the States is just incredible. The polarization, they're yep. playing into it. Yep. The Absolutely. bad guys are going to win the war without firing a shot. They're going to exactly. win it on a keyboard. Yep. The purge is upon us. <laughs> the purge is upon us. That's why they should be doing a threat risk assessment to understand what the threat to the U.S. is. Exactly. So focus the response. What a segue. Perfect segue, and uh, let's get into that because we are keeping these nice and short and uh, to the point. So, yeah, let's talk about threat risk assessment. Everybody hears the terminology. I don't think everybody really understands what it means because, you know, like I said earlier, we've done quite a few of these, um, certainly in recent years, and some of them will call it a security risk assessment, some will call it or security risk review, um, others will call it a threat risk assessment, and others will call it um, a vulnerability assessment. And they interchange those terms all the time, which uh, which is unfortunate. So they need an education, and we're happy to provide that. But really, let's get let's start with that. Uh, you know, what what how do you interpret the difference between the three? Well, you, you know, there's an academic definition, there's a real world definition. Let me just start off by saying that I see the difference that a threat risk assessment to me, or a hazard threat risk assessment, or whatever yeah. you want to call it is basically trying to identify what are the things that can go bump in the dark? What are the things that can hurt, that could hurt you? Because if you don't know that smoking can cause cancer, you can't prevent cancer. So the threat, a medical threat risk assessment would be, what are the things out there that can make us sick? COVID can make us sick, cigarettes can make us sick. It's identifying the threats. 
because again, you can't begin to protect something, be it a human being, a company, a country, if you don't know who the adversary is. Imagine the US, we're just talking a second ago about what's happening. Imagine if they said the threat we're worried most about are the Hungarians. And the older missiles are looking at Hungary, but nothing is looking at Iran or Russia or China. If they get the threat wrong, chances are the outcome is going to be wrong. So to me, that's a sort of a threat risk assessment. The vulnerability assessment is looking at vulnerability assessment or program review is looking at the effectiveness of the yeah. uh, existing program. Yeah. And you can't, you know, you got to run, you got to walk before you run. And I think because it gets interchanged so much, people get confused and they produce, especially consultants, all sorts of work products that really uh, don't necessarily accomplish what the intention is. What do you think? Oh, I, I would agree. And then the security risk review is really that just that a review of what you already have. It's very similar to the vulnerability, but you're not you're not really putting it against comparing it against any threat. You're just saying this is what it is, right? Yeah. What what exists at the moment. Um, but you hit on something there. The threat risk assessment isn't specific to security. We're we're talking about in the in in the parameters of of a security discussion today. But threat risk assessment. I mean, you can do with stocks, right? What are the, what are the yeah. risks to uh, yeah. stock? Same principles apply. What's going to cause that stock to fall, go up, those kinds of things. So the principles are the same across the board. It's just the content or the or the target that you're talking about that changes. Um, so with that, let's talk about what is the purpose of that threat risk assessment. I, I think, you know, personally, I've always pushed them everywhere I've gone because, and that's one of the first things that you should do when you get into a new role uh, or to a new company or you're starting a new building, whatever it is. But that part of the initial stages of starting a security program, the first step should be doing that threat risk assessment. Because if you don't understand where the risks lie and where your exposure is, then why, what, how do you justify your program? You want 100 cameras? Why? I mean, yeah. you've got to be able to understand why you need those cameras. And that's what the threat risk assessment does. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. You, you know, my brother says about my dogs, when we walk, the dogs are pulling. And he has a little parody, he says, I got to get there. I got to get there. I got to get there. Where are you going? I don't know. I don't know, but I got to get there. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's what happens when you start a program without doing a threat risk assessment. By uh, mentoring several young uh, security uh, practitioners, professionals uh, in the uh, uh, contract security industry as account managers. And uh, one of the things that I'm mentioning is uh, they were talking about frustrations and they're talking about, you know, the, we go through a lot of motions, but we don't accomplish anything. And to your point, Luke, I said, the first thing you should do when you take over a new account is figure out why do they have security in the first place? What are they trying to protect against? You know, otherwise it's just a, an illusion. And to my uh, amazement, a lot of people say, but we're too busy to do that. Yeah. And if you're too busy to do that, you're never going to succeed. If you say, I got to get, uh, I got to go somewhere, but you don't identify where you're going or what your purpose of going, you'll never get there. So you really, I think a threat assessment forces busy people to step back. Every job I've taken in the latter part of my career is I've always said that I'm going to take the first month to two just to lay low to look around, to ask a lot of questions, to understand what the issues are before I hit the ground running. There was one job I had a little while ago, uh, several years ago, where my boss said, the first thing you gotta do is clean shop. And you gotta fire this guy, and you gotta do that, and you've gotta get rid of this company. And, and I said, no, you know, time out. If you've hired me to run the program, first thing I wanna do is I'm gonna come in, 
uh, like with a blank sheet of paper. Oh, there's some stuff written there. Blank sheet of paper. And I'm going to pretend I don't know anything. And I'm going to look around and I'm going to make up my own mind and formulate my own opinions. And if the guys that you feel that need to be fired or the companies that we've got to get rid of, I concur with, then we'll do that. But we're not going to do that in day one. I was doing my own threat risk assessment. And, and, you know, we do them all the time. You don't realize it. Yeah. But have you done, have you put winter tires on? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why didn't you put the winter tires on? Because you've assessed that there's probably bad weather coming. And this is how I protect myself. That's all a TRA, TRA is. You know, you can go online and look at the RCMP or Public Works Canada Harmonized Threat Risk Assessment, assessment Document. 200 pages. I love it because it allows me to bill a client 100000 bucks because there's a lot of unnecessary work. I could, you know, I believe, uh, you know, I live in the real world. You yep. live in the real world. Clients are not going to support that. And with respect, most of them don't need that level of, uh, of paper being generated. Yeah. <clears throat> you, you know, when I, when I started years ago, um, all the threat risk assessments I saw, and at the time, because I was new to the business, I thought that's what, what was appropriate. You'd see, you know, four or 500 page threat risk assessments from big name companies giving them to, you know, when I was with Cadillac and, and Brookfield and things like that. Um, and, and they just sat there with, you know, inches of, of friggin' dust on top because they're completely useless to our clients and people who actually want to take them and do something with them. So, yeah, I agree. We've done a lot of work together to minimize the content in those reports um, because you're paying for the expertise that we provide to condense the information to what you need to know. You don't need 500 pages of dribble just to justify that $100,000 price tag you want 10 maybe 40 pages at most I, I try to condense it you know you know me i try to put everything on one page an executive summary yeah. everything on that one page and then the details on the back maximum 40 pages for a, a threat risk assessment that should be more than enough for you to be able to figure out these are the key things i need to, fo uh, to, to focus on and that i think brings more value to clients because it's a snapshot it's condensed and they can focus on something you're giving them something that they could look at really quickly and figure out this is what i need to do versus a 600 page you know, encyclopedia set that no one's ever going to look at. And, and just looking at the size of it, they get intimidated. They never open the pages. Yeah. And, you know, if you need to do a 40 page or even a 600 page uh, uh, review, you have to summarize it in a, yeah. in a page or two because you're entirely right. You, you know, I wouldn't read it and I'm a security professional. There's no way my client who's a president of a company or a VP or a director in some sort of business is going to read it. And he doesn't need to know that the calibration of the yin-yang is off yep. by 300 millimeters. I mean, you may need that. Okay, so my brother, I was talking to him about that. And he, he before he retired, was an accountant in an accounting firm. They would do an audit of a company. And I said, because I wanted to learn from him, I said, show me a, a copy of a review of an annual audit you did on a company. And he cleaned one up so I couldn't see any confidential information. And it really is one page, it, you know, at a couple of paragraphs. And it says, uh, uh, Joe Blow Accounting Agency has reviewed the books and based on the information provided, uh, uh, certified that it meets uh, the accounting standard. One friggin' page and he charges 50000 or 100000 bucks. Yeah. And I said, Mark, you're crazy. And he said, no, you're crazy, Brian, because everyone assumes they hired us because we're experts. We're giving them an expert opinion. If they want to get granular and they want to look at our notes, I've got them. 
we've yeah. got them. We could share them, but that's not what they hired us for. Yeah. It really comes, you know, last episode, we talked about doing your due diligence when you select a, a, a consultant. If you do your due diligence and you select a consultant that you believe is knowledgeable, knows what they're doing and is qualified to do it, then you don't have to micromanage them. And if you have to micromanage them, it's because you didn't do your due diligence up front. Yeah, for sure. Let's carry on. <laughs> and I think I want to clarify uh, two components of a threat risk assessment right in the title. What is a threat and what is a risk? Because people often interplay those as well. Um, and there is a difference, and it's a fundamental difference. And I explain it this way, and then you know you're you're welcome to chime in because I know you probably disagree. But for me, a risk is uh, <laughs> you know something that has potential, but not necessarily uh, is going to happen. So, for example, I, when I do training for for workplace violence, I will say that there's a risk of somebody in that class. In this case, you know, there's a risk that Brian Clayman might get upset with me and uh, come after me, want to beat my head in. Right? Who, the angry man? Yeah, the angry man. There's a risk that that will happen. There's a risk that that'll happen with anybody, right? Anybody can get upset. I could say something wrong and trigger something and off they go and all of a sudden I'm into a, a, a fisticuffs with them. That's a risk because I don't know it's there. I just know the probability is there. Whereas a threat is actually defined, you know it's coming. You would say to me, I'm going to beat your ass, right? Or somebody in that classroom that I'm teaching says, I'm going to beat you up. That's a threat. And, and the two are different. They're similar in that they both um, create some sense of risk. You know that there's uh, there's exposure there of some level, but one is definitely coming. It's imminent and it's direct, and that's the threat. So you've got to plan for that a little more differently than than the potential of that happening. Would you agree or would you define it differently? No, no, I agree 100%. You said I probably wouldn't agree. I, I agree 100%. And if you recall, when we were down in the financial district, we did on the topic of terrorism. There were two levels of terrorism that we were confronted with. There was the threat of terrorism that something could happen. And every so often we get a call from CSIS or the RCMP or Toronto police say, there's a threat that these people are going to do such and such. There are two different things. And the threat risk assessment is just that, to your point. You said it really well. What are the threats? So if, you're, if I'm doing a, a TRA for the Royal Bank of Canada, a threat that I would advise them of, and I'm sure they're aware of it, is a protest activity because of their investments in the uh, oil uh, pipelines going through indigenous lands. That's a threat, okay? What are risks? Risks are that we'll have a really bad blizzard in Toronto this uh, winter, and you won't be able to get your critical people to work. That's a risk, okay? It's not a threat. It's something that may happen. The other thing is something where there's a, every likelihood that it will happen or it's happened before and it will happen again. I think you're, you're, you're well, uh, and, and they've also said that they said they will target those, those, those well, types of, uh, supporters and, and, so, and agents. So for example, like, you know, we we're doing one for a client right now, which is a bank and, and, and it's not of the same profile as the Royal bank, but in the risk assessment, threat risk assessment, we said was that you've got to think about protest activity. You've got to look at where you're investing Okay, and what the outcome of that investment might be, because you may uh, annoy Greenpeace, you may uh, annoy PETA. Years ago, we had a property that was uh, the victim of uh, uh, domestic terrorism. It was really firebombed, and there was a PETA component to it. I'm not blaming PETA, but it was that type of radical animal rights group. And we were trying to understand why this... Uh, this tenant, which really was a pharmaceutical, uh, a chemical company, were fireball. Long story short, they did animal research. 
and people against animal research uh, took offense. Yep. And we were caught off guard because we never realized that was the nature of their business. And shame on us. We didn't do our due diligence when we ran it to them. But the result was the threat materialized. And because there was never an effective threat risk assessment done, we didn't have any mitigation or preparation uh, uh, plans in place to deal with that. Okay, let's keep it moving to the next stage in a threat risk assessment. And that's really the three components that make up what a threat risk, what a threat risk assessment is. And that is... Uh, you know, after you've identified the risks um, and your critical assets that you want to protect, what are the risks threatening those assets? You want to examine three three key components, and that is the probability of those risks happening. Or how likely are they? Because that's going to drive how serious or how much of a priority is that you mitigate against that risk. What is the impact of those risks going to be, right? Is it just a flood or is it going to knock out your building for four or five days like we saw with some of the serious flooding a few years ago in Calgary? Um, and then lastly, what is your vulnerability to those risks, right? What do you have in place right now? We talked about at the start, uh, what kind of security programs, what kind of redundancy, what kind of business continuity plans you have in place right now to deal with that risk if it happens? And are you exposed? Are they good enough to manage the risk if it happens today? Or do we need to add more layers or enhance something to, to finally put an end to, to that risk, like put an end, uh, protect against it? Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, a lot of the TRAs or the assessments I've seen in the past miss one of those three components. And it really is a continuum. It's a journey to get to this yep. point. Okay, so I know the terrorism. I, I know that an airplane flying into my building is a threat. Okay, am I going to lose sleep about that? Am I going to spend $2 million to put a radar beacon on the top of my building? Am I going to invest in a fighter jet to take out a plane? Well, the likelihood of that happening is so remote that I don't think I'm going to do anything. But if it did happen, it would be incredibly uh, impactful in the case of uh, New York City. It would be catastrophic, okay? Yep. So there's, first of all, you're right, likelihood of occurrence. And then if it occurs, what is the potential impact? And the third part to that is, what can I do about it? And really, there's some risks that you can accept yep. or ignore. There's other risks you can make, mitigate. So I would tell you after the Calgary floods that we lived through a few years ago, one of the threat risk assessment items are that if you are concerned about being impacted for two weeks and not being able to access your building unless you swim there, the mitigation is to move out of downtown Calgary and move yeah. up into the mountains. So that's the third part that's often missing. If you know what a threat is, if you know the likelihood of its occurrence, and you know it's something that's important that you've got to deal with, you've got to say to your client or to the stakeholder, and this is what you could do, because otherwise, don't bother mentioning it. You know, I say to my children all the time, if you're going to tell me a problem, but you don't have a solution, don't tell me the problem. Yeah. And, you know, come up with a plausible solution. I'll figure out then how we pay for it. And that brings us to my next step. That's a good segue. You're doing a roll in the lawn today. I'm impressed. It's the red <laughs> wine. I got to drink some red wine next week. Uh, so really, okay, so now we understand what the risks are. We've identified those risks. We understand what our vulnerabilities are. And we got to talk about how we mitigate those options. That's part of that threat, threat risk assessment, right? The, 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 uh, the part where we talk about reducing risk and exposure to those, uh, to those risks. And there's basically five options that I come up with. You may have more or less, but I'm going to throw them out there, and then uh, you know we'll, we'll expand on those with uh, with your wisdom. Um, the first one is uh, to well, you know what? It's it's actually one, but I break it up into two because because I think it's important to distinguish between accepting the risk 
and just ignoring it. And I think, you know, I've had many property managers who chose to just ignore the risks. They didn't want to hear about it and they didn't want to deal with it, uh, thinking that it would go away. And I think that that's a dangerous sort of head in the sand approach, but it's all too common in business across the board. I don't, I, I, that's not just property management. So when I say accept it, I think when I say that, that you're going to accept the risk, it's not ignoring it. It's actually looking at the risk, talking about its probability. Like you say, the, the plane into the building, you're not going to be able to defend that. I'm not going to put a, a surface air missile on the top of my building to stop that. But at least if, if something were to happen the day it does happen, I'll be able to say we did think about it. We considered it. But the reality is we can't do anything about it. And that's different than saying, well, we never give it. You know, it's not going to happen. I could care less about it. It's a fundamental. I think it's a small difference, but I think it's an important difference when you're able to justify your your position of saying we just accepted the, the you know, we accepted it based on these facts. We had the discussion. The can can three, I just add something to that? I, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, I had a lawyer friend. And I asked him once, "What is the difference between negligence and gross negligence?" Mm -hmm. He said, "The difference is this: when you're you're always going to be negligent, no matter what you do. Gross negligence the difference is millions and millions of dollars. When you accept a risk, that means that you've thought about it, and for whatever reason, you're not going to do anything. You can't afford it. Budget doesn't. Yep. That's not gross negligence. That's ne maybe negligence, but it's not gross negligence. When you ignore a risk, okay. So, for example, you say that the fire exits are locked and we can't unlock them. He said, oh, "The hell with it. I don't yep. really care." That's gross negligence. It's one thing to say, I don't have the money to change right now, but we're going to do it over the next year or two when things happen. Okay, or we're going to call the uh, fire department and see if they can work with us. You'll still be negligent if there's a problem, but you won't be gross negligence. And that's a big difference in terms of uh, money. Sometimes insurance is val invalidated and your brand of reputation is just destroyed. And time in jail. Don't forget that one. <laughs> time in jail. That's a good motivator. That's right. <laughs> Um, and, and then the other three that I would add into that, obviously, um, insurance. We all know what insurance does. You can basically accept the risk and insure against it. If it happens, you pay it out because um, you know it's going to happen. Uh, the other one is obviously to mitigate it, to actually take up, uh, take us up on our recommendations and follow through with them. And the last one is a combination of the uh, of all of those, right? So you may not be able to afford that surface to air missile, but you might have, uh, or you may not be able to afford the the fighter aircraft to shoot them down. But I'll have a surface to air missile. It's a yeah. little cheaper. So a little cheaper combination. Yeah. Um, anything you want to add to those? Yeah, you, you know, I think um, um, one thing you can't do if you're going to take the time to do a threat risk assessment is you can't ignore it. Your first example of ignore, accept, okay? You can't ignore it because right there, that becomes plaintiff's exhibit number one. It's one thing to say you didn't know, but if you know and you choose to do nothing, that's a bad place to be. But can I just, I don't want to interrupt you, but I got to add one more thing on because we've had this discussion as well. Doing the threat risk assessment and not ignoring it is, is certainly not wise to do, but also not doing, using that as an excuse not to do the TRA to begin with because you're going to be held accountable is an even worse decision because you're basically ignoring it, like is what I was saying at the start, right? Like you got to do the TRA, it's due diligence. You've got to do it and then you do your best to meet it. You're not held to, it's not a Bible, oh. right? <clears throat> you're, you're right. You know, what I tell clients, what I used to tell my employer is that uh, you have to acknowledge the result. There's only three, two things you can do. You can either discredit the report to not be grossly negligent, 
or you can action it, okay? Now, you don't have to action it all today. You right. can say that there's a two-year plan, there's a five-year capital plan. Like, a, often, there's a lot of money involved in some of the things yeah. you need to do, okay? You got to change the fire system. Like, you know, in a commercial office building, that could be $20 million, okay? Yeah. So there's an understanding that you may not be able to do that tomorrow. It may be in phases over the next five or 10 years. But as long as you've got to be in a position to say to the court, if you're getting sued, these threats and risks were identified. This is our plan to fix it. That's defensible versus say, it was too expensive. I couldn't bother. Look at what happened with the MGM fire 30 years ago and all those people died. Or the shooting. Was it at MGM also in Las no, Vegas? No, Mandalay Bay. Mandalay Bay. Bay. Okay. You cannot ignore things. Or if you do and something bad happens, it's at your peril. You know, it's a crapshoot. And you either hope that things don't go wrong. You hope you don't get struck by lightning or you have a plan in case you do. And if it's just yourself, it doesn't really matter, okay? But when you have a duty of care over others, you have a legal fiduciary to make sure you do the right thing. And to your point, Luke, uh, uh, business leaders, and th this isn't a commercial for us to get rich, but you've got to understand what you're protecting against or else you really are exposed. And the viability of the business is at risk, really. Yeah, man, and the comments you hear today, you know, in, in 2021, you still hear businesses wanting to put cameras in bathrooms. You still hear, you know, security experts, so-called security managers, wanting to put cameras in people's workspace. Privacy doesn't accept that. And yeah, you can do it. You know, we've talked about that. You can do it because that's what you've done before or no one's going to complain. No one's going to complain until they complain. And then you've got a lot of explaining to do. So why even go down that road? And my other question to those types of, of issues would be, if, if that's your response, what is going on at your place of business that you put, you need to put a camera in a washroom? Like, I, you cannot justify that to me. I don't well, understand. I, I agree. You know, one of the challenges that we had, if you remember commercial real estate, on the path in the food courts, you'd have uh, a sexual issues that happen yep. in washrooms. So we were challenged. What do we do about it? Well, Ideally, it would be nice sort of to have a camera in a washroom so you could see a crime and then you can uh, prosecute the person. Yeah. But it, it's immoral and it's illegal. So what do we do? We had cameras in the hallway leading to a washroom yeah. so we could see who's going in. So if there was a complaint afterwards, at least we could demonstrate that so-and-so went in there and he came out five or ten minutes later, wh whatever the case may be. You're entirely right. You know, often people, I think everyone wants to do the right thing. But someone's percept, like, I, I want to help people. So if they're sick or hurt, I want to help them. Am I qualified or competent? Not necessary. I can't, not necessarily. I can't do brain surgery. I can't even do CPR because my card is expired and I haven't retrained myself. So you have to understand your limitations. You've got to do something, but it's got to be the right thing. People get themselves in trouble when they think they are the expert. You know, the project that we're on right now, we have architects, we've got designers, we've got engineers, we're doing a security piece. Each of us are experts. We're only as strong as the sum total. If they don't engage all the team, a multidisciplinary team, projects are gonna fail and security programs are the same thing. You need a security, a security specialist to tell you, these are the things go bump in the dark. I want to be clear, you know, it's not the consultant's job or the director of security's job to tell the company what they must do. Their job is to tell the company what the risks are, what they should do. Management will make a decision. But if they don't have the proper inputs and information, 
they're going to have flawed if flawed information has flawed results yep and that goes right back to our tra topic of providing that right uh, information from the get-go doing that proper yep. threat risk assessment from the start and building your program from that that's going to go uh, move us on to our final piece which is basically what are the key values of that TRA? We talked about identifying the risk. We talked about how uh, you know, it shows your exposure and how you develop recommendations to mitigate that risk. So where's the value? And, and for me, there's a number of areas where the TRA proves its value. Um, first of all, it identifies your risk. We've talked about that. But I think more importantly, it justifies your program. Right? I don't know. I, I've had arguments with security managers in the past where, you know, typically they get that budget at the end of the year, right? Oh, we got twenty thousand dollars. Get rid of it before we lose it, type thing. Yeah. And because they've never done a TRA, what do they do? Well, I want that new camera, or I want that new access control platform over there, and they throw the money away at the end of the day because it's not spent wisely, in my opinion. The the TRA sets that roadmap for you. It tells you what you need uh, to mitigate the risk. And you can, you can go back to that. When you've got that $20,000 extra, go back to your TRA. What's next on the to-do list? And spend it wisely as opposed to just throwing it away. It provides that roadmap to, to, to future uh, success. Um, so it justifies your program. Again, we talked about the CCTV cameras. Everybody wants cameras. But I challenge you to find more. I would, you know, just throwing it out there, I would think the majority of people who have cameras in their buildings can't tell you why, other than the fact that, well, we just need CCTV. But they can't actually justify why those cameras are out there and why they're in their specific locations. And that's well, what a TRA does. I just want to add a couple of things. Your example about the year end, you got money. What do you do? You put up a camera. Well, so, now you put up the camera because you're enhancing security. Sometimes it's quite the detriment. For example, if you have incidents that are occurring in your parking garage and you put the camera up in the executive office, okay, and something happens, you can't say you didn't have money. You yep. spent that money the wrong way. That's negligence. It might even be gross negligence. The other thing is, I look. At, I wrote down some notes as you were talking. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I haven't tried reading my... But why you do you do it? Really, there's, there's uh, two reasons. The first is brand and reputation. You do yep. the TRA to protect the brand. The second reason is to keep you out of court. And the third reason is to keep you out of jail. Yeah, and those were my final two points on this. It's it it it's not going to stop the lawsuits, but it'll reduce your exposure to those lawsuits. So you know you're going to pay out money at the end of the day. That's the way our society works. Our justice system yeah. is crap, and uh, even when the bad guys are at completely at fault, they're still going to get some money out of you. What the TRA does is justifies your program, shows you some level of due diligence, puts you in a defensible position so that you can say why you've done or taken the action that you've taken. So that $5 million lawsuit might be $2 million, might be $1 million. And that, that's where it really comes, uh, proves its value, I think. It shows that you're a professional organization who actually put some thought into your security program. You, just, just, you didn't just throw guards out there and say, you know, here, we got security. There's actually some thought, there's some strategy behind what you're doing. And you can, you can sort of illustrate that to the court. And they're going to sympathize with that. They're going to say, these guys are really trying to do the right thing. And you should, you should benefit from that at some level. Yeah, and there's one more thing I just want to add. Uh, there's a mistaken belief on a part of a lot of business leaders is that's why we have insurance. Well, I'll yeah. tell you, I'm not an insurance expert, but the insurance may help you the first time. But if you make the mistake a second and third time and you haven't done something to correct the errors of your way, your insurance is going to get canceled or your premium is going to be so great. It's The insurance is just that. It's insurance if everything fails, but you can't keep failing because you're going to get canceled. Yeah, and on that note, I will add one other thing. 
because I remember this just like yesterday, uh, Terry, you know, one of our colleagues, uh, Cadillac, we, 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 we did a lot of work with the insurance when we were preparing for G20. Um, and they basically came to us and said, because we were like, we're, this is going to cost a lot of money to put up all these barriers, to put up all these, hire all these extra security guards. It's going to cost us money. Fruit. Ah. Is it worth the, the, the endeavor to spend all this money? And their response was this. I'll never forget it. They said, look, all these insurance companies, they're insuring you for G20. And they're putting money aside. And there's a pool of money to pay out if things go wrong. But that money is not, uh, in, like, it's not an indefinite pool. Yeah. It's only so much. And the people who are going to get first dibs on that money are the people who can justify the security per, uh, precautions that they put forward. So if you're not doing nothing, to your point, and you're just going to say, you know, throw up your hands and say, that's what insurance is for, you're not going to get that. You're going to be at the back of the line. So you're going to get whatever's yeah. left. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's an important point. You know, you have a responsibility to others. That's called a fiduciary. You've got a duty of care. And if your strategy is I have insurance, it's not going to help. And the insurance is going to pay for it, cover stupid, and it's not going to cover brand and uh, reputational yep. damage. For sure. And I think on that note, let's wrap her up. That's uh, That was good. I really enjoyed that one, Brian. Uh, you, you got a little fire in you, and I like the alcohol in me, so I'm going to make this a custom for my, for my I, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit jealous. You know, I, I'm just going to say that we've been doing this for almost a year now, and I'm really yeah. impressed with my young Jedi warrior friend. You're starting to learn. When we started this, you were like a greenhorn. You knew nothing about or very little about security, but you're starting to get there. I'm a little dunce, but eventually it breaks in. <laughs> Well, I, you know, next week, I think you're going to see some uh, uh, liquid refreshment on my side. And maybe uh, hopefully. For sure. 100%. We got to start doing these live and in person. Um, so with that, I'm going to wrap it up. I uh, hope you guys found uh, some worthwhile information out of this and some takeaways for our business listeners. And for our listeners, please uh, hit the like button. Uh, we need the uh, subscribers. So subscribe and uh, you'll get updates as to when the latest episode comes online. And don't forget to visit our sponsor. He is the anger man, but the website is Brian Claim <laughs> and Associates. Uh, visit and uh, see what uh, kind of services he's up there offering for you, because without that, uh, we won't have this show. So that's it for me, Brian. You? Yeah, just one thing. I want to say that talking to some of the our friends and listeners, uh, I, I was asking, do you guys subscribe you know, to Google or Apple or YouTube? And many of them said, Yes, but many said no, and, and I was a little bit disappointed. And they said, well, we wait for you to post on LinkedIn that there's new episode. And that's great. We appreciate that. But in order to get the podcast recognition and the placement, we need people to hit that subscribe or like button. So if you do like it, hit the button. And if you don't like it, don't hit the button. There is a don't, don't like button, Brian. but just forget about it. <laughs> no, no. If you don't like it, let us know. Hit yeah, the don't like exactly. button or send us an email because if we're doing something wrong, we're going to fix it if we can. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well said. So till then, till next time, folks. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll talk to you then. Take care, everyone. Bye bye. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, BrianClayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.